Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. We are reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 and 10 through 14. And this you can find on page 1071 in your Pew Bible. But join me in prayer. God of life, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. As we come to this ancient text, let us hear what you wish for us to hear. In the name of Christ, the living word, we pray. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Now that I, not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to show to share my distress. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor theologian imprisoned by the Nazis during World War II. He left letters and papers from his time in Tegel prison camp that had provided inspiration and challenge to the faithful for the past 75 years. But it wasn't only his writings that inspired, it was also just the way he was while imprisoned. In a poem entitled, Who Am I?, Bonhoeffer speaks to his oppression and the feeling that it created in him. He said he felt restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage. But at the same time, he also said that others saw something different in him. He writes, they often tell me I would step from my cell calmly cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. They tell me I would bear the days of misfortune equitably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. No doubt he felt both and experienced it all, 
But to be anything other than devastated, it seems Bonhoeffer discovered a spiritual secret on how to face the harshest times. I, I say secret because that's the word Paul uses. Like Bonhoeffer, Paul was in prison, and he writes, in my opinion, the most joyful letter of the New Testament. And he nears the conclusion of his letter, he writes, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I have learned the secret. I have to admit, when I woke up this past Tuesday, still without power, I was not feeling that I had mastered the secret. When it comes to joy in the face of harsh circumstances, I still have some things to learn, which raises a question for me. If Paul had learned the secret, wouldn't it have been cool if he had told us what the secret was? But he didn't tell us. He just says, I want you to know that I know it. Seems like sharing the secret would be helpful. One of the most prophetic, powerful, and challenging letters ever written in American history is Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham Jail. Had this letter been written 3,000 years ago, I think we would know it today squeezed in somewhere between Jeremiah and Amos. In King's writing, you hear the insistence that America live up to her ideals, but you also hear his fatigue, less with the overt racist and more with the people of goodwill who insist that oppression can last for a while. Let's just be patient. It's always easier to be patient when someone else is suffering. But King was known in these imprisoned times not only for his writing, but also, ironically, for his singing and those who are with him. We know that when the civil rights protesters were in prison, they would often sing. They would sing songs of defiance. They would sing songs of hope. They would sing songs of joy. Harvey Cox, uh, professor of religion at Harvard, he experienced that singing. He said that when he listened to jail young men singing, we shall overcome at the top of their lungs, it was the surest he had ever been that the one who was crucified was raised, and he was right there with them in that cell. To use the language of the day, Martin Luther King Jr. knew the secret of facing injustice with joy. I wish I knew the secret so that I could tell you it would make it a better sermon, I think. But Paul, he says he knows the secret. If he's not going to tell us what it is, it seems like something of a pedagogical breakdown, I think. I'll come back to that. So, yesterday I had the privilege to officiate a wedding. It was joyful. The couple loved one another. No surprise there. They've been looking forward to this day for some time. It's a regular privilege for me to be able to stand with people who choose love and affirm that love for one another. And I lead them through that vow. I promise to be loving and faithful. And you know the rest of it in plenty and in want, 
in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health. Sometimes couples run through that um, as if they don't think any of that awaits them, that all is going to be delightful and all will be happy because they love each other so much. But sometimes I have the privilege of sharing that moment with people who are far wiser, for some, because it's not the first time they've made that vow, and because of various circumstances, they're there to choose love again, knowing full well that every relationship involves plenty and want, joy and sorrow, sickness and health. If you don't believe me, just ask anybody who's been married, I don't know, a month or two. That's just the way it is with us human beings. But when I get to share that moment with people who know full well the demands of that promise and still choose love, it's inspiring and beautiful and kind of like experiencing a resurrection, a gift of new life on the other side of hardship. I think couples like that know something of what Paul talks about when he says, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of being hungry, of having plenty and of being in need, joy and sorrow, sickness and health. Of course, it would be nice if Paul had spelled out the secret, not to keep it a secret, but maybe Paul doesn't tell us because in his mind, he's already told us and we already know it. One thing that is noticeable when you read this joyous letter is what is not written here. There is not a single verse here where Paul asks, why me? There's not a single verse where Paul laments or blames God or others or the Roman Empire for his rotten circumstances. We tend to tell ourselves that suffering is an aberration to normal life, but Paul seems to think that life and suffering go hand in hand. He, he clearly doesn't believe that being righteous will protect one from suffering. After all, he is an apostle for the crucified one. There is no why me and Paul, but may, that may be part of the secret but I think it's not what's not in the letter as much as what is in the letter. And if I understand it, it's found in the first words that he writes. The letter begins, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Servants of Christ. It's interesting that Paul takes time to describe himself to this Philippian congregation. They don't need him to do that. They know who he is. They love him. He's been their pastor. He, they, they love him. He loves them. He doesn't need to add any accolades. So this is clearly not for information. It's for inspiration. It's a reminder to them. We are servants of Jesus Christ. And say it in the language of our own day, we belong. He's saying, I'm Paul. I belong to Jesus Christ. 
And just as Christ lived his life for me, I now live my life for Christ. And when I can do that, then every day is a holy day. When I can do that, then every day is a beautiful day. When I can do that, then every day is a day of significance that shapes my every moment, he says. When we trust that we belong to God, it changes us. And it changes how we engage the world. Uh, there's a, a kid named Alex, six-year-old, who I never met, but I think he's an illustration of what this change looks like. In, in, in 2016, Russian forces, they dropped bombs on Aleppo, Syria. There are people there called people, the white helmets. They wear white helmets, and they rush into buildings that have been bombed in an effort to rescue the injured. While these efforts happen all the time, one particular moment was captured on, in, by the world media. A little boy named Omran Dagnish was rescued and placed in the back of an ambulance. His picture was broadcast around the world. I remember when that happened, we prayed for him here at Village. But like so many problems, it felt too big to know what to do. But there was a little boy named Alex who knew what to do. He knew exactly what to do. Sometimes when it comes to the secret of joy, children are our best teachers. Alex wrote a letter to then President Obama, and I want you to listen to that letter as Elijah reads it to us now. Dear President Obama, remember the boy who was picked up by the ambulance in Syria? Can you please get, get him and bring him back to my home? Park in the driveway or on the street, and we will be waiting for you guys with flags, flowers, and balloons. We will give him a family, and he will be our brother. Catherine, my little sister, will be collecting butterflies and fireflies for him. In my school, I have a friend from Syria, Omar and I will, I will introduce him to Omar. We can all play together. We can invite him to birthday parties, and he will teach us another language. We can teach him English, too, just like my friend Oto from Japan. Please tell him that his brother will be Alex, who is a very kind boy, just like him. Since he won't bring toys and doesn't have toys, Catherine will share her big blue stripy white bunny, and I will share my bike, and I will teach him how to ride it. I will teach him additions and subtractions in math. And he can smell Catherine's lip gloss penguin, which is green. She doesn't let anybody touch it. Thank you very much. I can't wait for you to come. Alex. Would you go get him and bring him to my house? That's what the secret looks like. It's remembering who we are, who we all are. That's the secret, remembering that you are a child of God. I am a child of God. We are all children of God. In Bonhoeffer's poignant poem, Who Am I? He names the tension of feeling both at the same time like a bird in a cage and like one who steps from his cell calm and 
and quieted like a squire from his country house. And at the end of that poem, he says, who am I? They mock me these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. I think that's what Paul said. Paul, a servant of Christ. Paul, one who belongs to Christ. Just as Christ lived his life for me, now I live my life for Christ. That's the secret. That is the ultimate source of joy. You belong to Christ. It's not something you made happen. It comes from a love that lives deep in the heart of God, a love that calls you by name. And in this world, with all of its disappointment and harshness and difficulty, that is the source of our joy. Desmond Tutu, who knew captivity also, captivity of apartheid, he joined with the Dalai Lama to write a book together, and they wrote a book called The Book of Joy. It's an easy read and an inspiring read. In it, Tutu says this, Discovering more joy does not, I'm sorry to say, save us from the inevitability of hardship and heartbreak. In fact, we may cry more easily, but we will laugh more easily too. Perhaps we're just more alive. Yet as we discover more joy, we can face suffering in a way that ennobles rather than embitters. We have hardship without becoming hard. We have heartbreak without becoming broken. I think he's right. And when we know that every day is lived for God who lives for us, then when hardship comes, it does not make us hard, but compassionate and fully alive. I called my mom this week just to check in. It was a short conversation. It always is. I said, Mom, how are you doing? She said, oh, love, I'm fine. She always says that. In 1989, my mother suffered a stroke. It left her disabled. She couldn't work anymore because it, the stroke hit the speech center of the brain, left her with a condition called aphasia. She can't find her own words. It's a devastating experience for a preacher. She's a preacher. It's frustrating to know what you want to say, but the language, the vocabulary escapes you. It's like being dropped in the middle of Lebanon, I guess, and you don't know a word of Arabic. When she wants a banana, she might ask for a bike or a toothbrush, or she might just say, I want that thing. Thing covers a lot in her life. It's led to some challenging conversation over the years, trying to interpret the message in the midst of the muddle. She knows who I am, but she hasn't called me by my name since September of 1989. She just calls me love, which is what she also calls my sister and my wife and Brittany, the LPN that takes care of all of us by taking care of her in the nursing home. But one word my mother has never lost is fine. 
Mom, how are you? Love, I'm fine. To be locked up inside yourself for decades would make most folks bitter. But I watch her with amazement as she greets not every day, but more days than not, and more days than most, with a contentment, a calm, quieted, fine. Mom, are you okay? Oh, love, I'm fine. You know that. When Paul says he's learned the secret, I believe him because I've seen it in so many others, including my own mother. And the secret is remembering who you are. You belong to Christ. The love of God has called you by name. It will never let you go. No matter what this day brings to you, grief like none other, disappointment that rages, things that frighten you, no matter what the days bring, you belong to Christ. And in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, remember that, and it will be a source of joy. It won't always be easy, and it won't always be happy. But joy, yes, that I can promise, because I have seen it over and over and over again. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.